Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive in to today's message. Grateful that you're here with us. Uh, we're grateful that you're joining us online this morning. So welcome. Uh, it's good to see each and every one of you and have each and every one of you. Uh, number one, we've got some uh, you know KCU students starting to trickle back onto campus, and I think that we've got the KCU women's soccer team here with us today. It's good to have you guys with us. Um, just know that we're here as a resource to you if we can help you at any time during the school year. Uh, we'd be glad to. Uh, some people may even cook for you. You never know. Uh, you know, I know that's a college-age dream right there, homemade meals while you're away at college. Uh, a couple of you have asked um, in response to my dad photo yesterday that I posted to social media. Uh, no, the Cubs have not called me up yet. Uh, I'm still waiting for that. And uh, for those of you who so kindly asked, uh, no, the Cubs are not doing well right now. Uh, so that means, ergo, I am not doing well. But I so appreciate the non-sarcastic way in which you were asking how the Cubs were doing. Uh, but, um, you know, before I, I get into my message this morning, thank you uh, to so many of you who reached out during this week, just reached out to me, just checking on me and encouraging me. Uh, after last week's message, I really, really appreciate that. And the amount of conversations that I've been able to have, and I know that some of our staff has been able to have throughout this week as we kind of you know, started taking a little bit of an impromptu look last week at mental and emotional health and well-being uh, and, and the way that we, most all of us, if I, I think we could probably take the most off of that and just say how all of us are dealing with things that we've never dealt with before. Um, really, really glad uh, to hear from you all. Uh, and I want to encourage you all to continue to do that. Uh, one of the things that we have to make sure that we do, and it's a process of doing this, but one thing that we have to do is we have to fight against the stigma of struggling with our mental and emotional health. We've got to move away from this stigma that it's weakness or it shows lack of faith or it, re it, it, it reflects negatively on us. If you're struggling, reach out. If you're struggling, reach out. Reach out to the church. We are here for you. Myself, Thomas, Mandy, Kennedy, the whole staff, the elders, we are here. Don't hesitate in reaching out. Call the office, call our cell phones, email us, however you need to do that. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue to look at uh, what the Bible says about mental and emotional health and the way that God instructs us through it. And we're actually going to look at a story of a man this morning who many of us are familiar with, the story of Elijah. But instead of starting out in the Old Testament, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of James, the New Testament book of James, which is towards the end of the New Testament, towards the end of the book. We're going to be reading out of chapter 5 this morning, and we're going to start with verse 17. James chapter 5. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Pray with me this morning. 
Father, um, just again, so thankful to be here, so thankful for the people that are here, the people who are joining us online, and the people who, uh, who will be hearing this at a later time. God, I pray that your hand be upon us this morning, that as we have opened your scripture, that we uh, receive it, we divide it rightly, and we allow it to work, your perfect work, in our hearts and in our lives. Father, I pray right now for me as I pray every day and pray every week publicly, I ask that you remove me and remove my words as much as possible because, God, they didn't come here. They're not watching. They're not listening to hear a word from Ben. They're here. They're listening. They're watching to hear a word from you this morning. Holy Spirit, allow that to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, as I was reading and studying different commentaries, different passages, different accounts on Elijah, um, that I'd forgotten, I don't know if I'd completely forgotten or if it had just moved to kind of the recesses of my mind, um, that he's mentioned here in the book of James. It's not only in Hebrews in the New Testament, but it's also in the book of James. And to kind of give you a little bit of context as to what is being discussed, what James is writing about, as this is kind of winding down his letter here, James is in a section where he's talking about the power of prayer. The supernatural power of us as flawed, fallible human beings praying to a perfect, infallible God, and he's telling us these accounts of what happens. He begins by talking about the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. That when you pray fervently to God, and your heart's right, your motive's right, everything is right, then that is when God begins to move. That is when prayer becomes supernatural. And it really captivated me this week when I looked and it said that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And I thought, God, what do you mean by that? What is James trying to tell us there? And I began studying some of the concordances, some of the commentaries, and some of the other versions of the Bible. And I'm going to ask to go ahead and put the Amplified Bible up here this morning. This is James chapter 15 out of the Amplified Bible. James, I'm sorry, James chapter 5 verse 17. Well, we went back. What happened? Go back. Ah, there we go. Okay. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And in brackets here, they break it down with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. So I want to hit the highlights of Elijah's story here just a little bit. Because most of us, when we think about Elijah, we think about the, if you've been to Sunday school, if you've spent time in church, then you think about some of the great victories in Elijah's life. You think about some of the awesome records that is kept in the Old Testament about the events that took place, and Elijah was kind of spearheading those to the point of, you know, we really don't know a whole lot about Elijah's background. It just says that he showed up in 1 Kings chapter 17. And he confronts Ahab, a wicked king, and understand the context of what's happening here as Elijah comes onto the scene. Beginning with Saul and David and Solomon, those are the first kings of Israel. And really, David and Solomon kind of signified the peak of Israel's history with the king. And everything after that kind of goes steadily downhill. Now, you have a lot of kings in that line of secession that 
are very poor kings and they worship pagan gods and, you know, and, and they don't serve God. They're not loyal to him. Every now and then you'll have this blip on the radar and it'll be recorded that they feared the Lord and they served him well and the nation prospered. But for the most part, the kingdom suffered because of men kings and leaders and rulers like Ahab who was wicked who accepted pagan gods who lifted up to Baal and to Asherah and all of these different cultures gods and these paganistic gods so what we're hap- what we see here is Elijah comes into the story in 1 Kings 17 at kind of one of the pinnacles of the depravity of the nation of Israel at this point. Things couldn't get a whole lot worse than what they were during the cultural context and the setting of this time. And Elijah comes led by the Spirit under the inspiration of God's calling and purpose on his life, and he declares a drought. And he says, at my word, and this is what James recounts here in 17 and 18 of chapter 5 too, that by his word, through God working through him, by his word, he declared a drought on the nation of, of Israel as they were being led astray and were in rebellion. And basically, that's what happened. And all of a sudden, the drought begins. Elijah comes under attack. He begins to be pursued, and he flees Unto a brook. Now at the brook, God removes him. God takes care of him. God provides from him. God gives him a brook to drink from. He has food delivered to him by ravens, which just sounds appetizing, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever really thought about what kind of food a raven could possibly be bringing? I'm hoping it was by the claws and not by the mouth, you know, the beak or whatever the proper terminology there is. But at this point, God's got him into a, way, into a place of isolation, into protection. God's hand is still upon him. So when the brook runs dry, God raises him up, says, I need you to go into a widow's home. He goes in there. The widow and her son have a great positive outlook on life because when Elijah meets her, he says, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? She went, I'm headed to fix the last meal, and then my son and I are going to eat it and die. Oh, great. Can I stay with you? But he goes and he gives her instruction. He's like, go, make this meal. Don't worry about anything else. And it's never going to run out. And that's what happens. It doesn't run out. And then all of a sudden things are going well. The food's supplied. The household is good. Everybody's happy. And then the little minor setback, the son dies. And the, the mother, obviously just unconsolable, begins to blame Elijah. This is your fault. Elijah's like, what's going on? She tells him, and he's like, don't worry about it. So Elijah goes up, and he lays himself out on the body of the young man, and the young man comes to life. And then Elijah begins to leave there, and he goes back, and he is proclaiming this, and all of a sudden he sees this. uh, He's on his way. He's got a servant, and He's wondering when the drought is going to end. And through a, through a sign, he basically said he saw a cloud, a cloud about that big, a size of a man's hand. And he said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And at the end of chapter 18, he's had an encounter with Ahab again. You see, all this time, even while he was at the brook, even when he traveled back into civilization, he was still being pursued. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I like 
being isolated when I know that I am 100% safe and protected by God. If I know that I'm in a place where God is with me and there is no danger that's going to befall me, I like that. If there's no attack coming, I'm kind of fond of that place. And God, knowing that our, our nature is not to just get up when everything is still good and be obedient, God caused the brook at Cherith to go dry and kind of forced Elijah's hand. Then he goes back into civilization under danger of as he's traveling, there still could be people that Ahab has sent out looking after. Because again, they're in a drought. Who caused it? Elijah. Well, if we get rid of Elijah, bada bing, bada boom, guess what? Drought over. So let's get rid of this guy. So he goes in there, then he goes back to Ahab. He has an encounter with Ahab, and the drought's ended. But it's still not a good thing at the end, and I love this. Uh, any, do we have any like Marvel or DC fans in here, like superhero fans? Whether it's the movies or the comic books, if you're old school like me, it was, you were cool before it was cool. It's still not cool. I'm... I'm like Kevin with the guy running, you know. Elijah had like this superpower moment. And, and I know that some of you are not going to believe me. So I'm going to read it. Where'd it go? Chapter 18, verse 46. says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment. Basically, he took his robe and he tucked it into his belt. And he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab was in a chariot. Elijah was on foot. From where they were to the place that they were going, Jezreel, was about 20 miles. Just get that in your head. If you've watched the movies, you've seen like Captain America take off running in like the Avengers movies. You know, as they're, they're fighting that final battle in, in Endgame, Infinity War. So, whoa. <laughs> Avoided calamity right there. At the end of Infinity War, you just see this big mass army just running out, and then all of a sudden you just see Captain America just like, zoof, right out. That's kind of like what was going on with Elijah with this chariot. He outran a chariot for 20 miles. Then he gets back, and there's this encounter. He has this, maybe what he's best known for is his showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. All right, so basically, there's hundreds of prophets of these false gods, and they build this big idol, and he's like, listen, if your God is so powerful, then have him come down, strike the altar, start the fire, consume it. And they start doing crazy things, chants, incantations. They start cutting themselves, all trying to get their God's attention because nothing's happening as they're trying to, to make this happen. And Elijah kind of gets a little sarcastic with them. He's kind of like, ah, guess he's not paying attention, huh? Even one of them in the translation, if it's accurate, does, at one point he's kind of like, well, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. And then all of a sudden he's like, here's how much faith I have. I'm go and let's soak this altar with water. Let's pour water, pour water till it's till it's pooling around it. And then he called down fire and God answered with fire. And then all the prophets were slain. Prophets of Baal were slain. And Elijah's in this great moment of victory. And then he meets 
Queen Jezebel. And that's where, really, I believe the part of Elijah's life that we can identify with begins. Because I don't know about you guys, I've never called down fire, tried. I've never outrun chariots. I can't outrun a slug. Are you kidding me? I've taken naps by creeks, but there's never been birds that brought me food. But I can kind of identify with what Elijah begins to feel next. Because for some reason, after all of these great victories, after all of these great things that's happened in Elijah's life, fear overtakes him because he's threatened by a queen. And he flees. And in chapter 19, verse 4, of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. If you go down to verse 9, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophet with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it. So what happened to Elijah here? Because we go from this guy who's calling down fire, who's proclaiming victory, who's, who's spoken with the voice of God, spoken a drought to take place, and then spoken again that the drought should cease, and the drought ceased. We've got a guy who outran a chariot on foot. We've got a guy who's seen a young boy raised from the dead. We've seen, we have this gentleman who has had the faith to call upon a widow and say, don't worry about how much you have as far as meal and oil because take, make it because it's never going to run out. He's seen and done so many great things through God working in his life. And now in a moment's notice, Elijah's threatened and he winds up suicidal. He winds up mentally and emotionally scarred and in this battle for his own life because we see where Elijah said, God, just please let me die. Have I not done enough? I've been jealous. I've been zealous for you, God. When everybody else, when everybody else is serving pagan gods, when they're into idolatry, when they've turned their back on you, I, Lord, have been the one that stood up for you, that's done what you've asked me to do, and here I am. So please, is that not enough? Can you just go ahead and take my life? You know, I told you last week, and we said several times, the phrase that Matt Chandler uses, that it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And I think what we see here is a physical representation of the danger 
that comes along with not being okay when we allow ourselves to camp there. Whenever we take up residence with not being okay, I think that's where I think that's what we see in Elijah's life at this point. I think that when we fold everything down and we say, God, I'm not okay, and this is just how my life is supposed to be. This is just my lot. This is everything. I've just accepted it. So, God, I'm really not okay. So just take my life now. I'm just done. I'm just done. And I don't know how many, if any of you, have ever been to that place in your life. But if you talk to someone who has been that place at that place, it's not a great place to be at all. It is absolutely miserable. And even though that you've given up on everything, you're saying you want to die. You're saying, God, take me. In your heart, you don't really want that. What you want is help. What you want is someone to be there for you. What you want is for someone to come along and move you out of this place of despair. I've, I've, I've had, like I told you, I've had several conversations this week, and you know the, the one thing that I've noticed, it's true for me, and I believe it's true for you too, is that during these past 15, 16 months, all of us are dealing with things that we have really never dealt with before. Or I maybe should say that we're having to deal with something in ways that we've never been required to deal with it before. Because now, granted, none of us have ever lived through, gone through, a global pandemic of a virus. Okay, so that's a first. All of these domino effects and this trickle-down effect of what's come as a result of this may be new to us. But I want to submit a thought to you this morning that I don't know... If any of us have, are experiencing new emotions that we've never experienced before. Think about that for just a moment. The emotions that many of us have been experiencing. Fear. Anybody had moments of fear during this? It's okay if you want to raise your hand. It's, it's fine. If you, if you had fear during this, yeah. Doubt. You experienced some doubt during this? Despair, frustration, aggravation, anger, irritability. Ouch. Lack of patience, lack of hope, lack of faith. I've experienced all of those. But you know what? I've experienced all of those before. 2020 and 2021. I think the biggest difference for me at least is the amount, the frequency, and the rep, uh, repetition of all of these. I don't know if I've ever dealt with all of them all at one time and all of them to the degree that we've had to deal with them through this time. We felt defeated. We felt alone. We felt isolated. And again, if you felt these things, and I promise you that you have, whether we want to talk about it or not, it's okay that you've experienced these things. It's okay if they've kind of gotten out of control on you. 
I told you last week, I'm experiencing things on a level that I've never experienced them before. Depths that I've never gone before to. Levels of frustrations, irritability, just confusion, doubt, fear, despair, all of these things. I've felt them before in my life, but I don't know if I've ever felt them quite to this level or this frequent or all I'm just deciding to have a party in my head all at once. Can't say that I've ever been where we are right now before in my life. Elijah starts having these exact same things going on. And he flees into a cave and he's asking God to take his life. So I want us to look at a few of the things that Elijah was in this moment. And I want to see if we can identify with any of these. Lexi, if you would give me that first slide of what Elijah was. During this time, Elijah was not thinking clearly. Anybody ever feel like your head's in a fog? Like a constant state of just fog and confusion and you're trying to zone in and you're trying to concentrate and you're trying to really pay attention and then it's just not there no matter how hard you try no matter how hard you try to concentrate no matter how hard you study or you read or you try to be present in a moment it's really tough to think clearly so Elijah wasn't thinking clearly next Elijah was separated from support. Now, what, what the future holds for us over these next couple of months, I have no idea. But I can tell you, and kind of during the stay-at-home time, isolation was tough, even on people who have a natural introverted, you know, like personality. But thank God we had technology that it would at least allow us to stay connected. Amen? I mean, that was, at least that was a good thing. But Elijah had removed himself from any type of support. Anyone who could possibly help him. Anyone who could possibly encourage him, lift him up, pray for him, speak words into his life. Love on him. Elijah separated himself from support. Elijah also was exhausted physically and emotionally. If you read this account in chapter 18, God gives the most glorious advice and does the best thing. And every parent in here is going to love this when I say this. But when Elijah had gotten to this place, the first thing that God told him to do was eat a good meal and take a nap. Praise the Lord. Take a nap. Take a nap. But he found himself at a place where he was physically and emotionally exhausted. And that kind of goes with this next one. Elijah was lost in self-pity. You see, all of these things kind of start building on themselves. Because we get into this, oh, woe is me, nobody knows type of type of scenario in our heads that we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. And self-pity is one of the most dangerous 
weapons that the enemy has at his disposal in a believer's life. Because if he can get you into a place of self-pity, then he's got you into a place where you're compromisable in your faith. Next, Elijah was unbalanced in his views. All of his perspectives were skewed. Everything was out of balance in the way that he was looking at things. Things that really didn't have that much weight all of a sudden started having weight. And the things that should have weight didn't have as much weight. The things that were really important weren't so important to Elijah at that point. And the things that were important really didn't need to be. And lastly, Elijah was struggling with his faith in God. Can I submit to you that Elijah lost his faith in God? Now make no mistake, Elijah never lost his belief in God. But he did lose his faith in God. And I think, in my mind at least, as I was studying this, is I've been bad and I've been guilty over my lifetime of putting the two in the same category. That if I believe in God, that I must have faith in God. It's not necessarily true. You can believe in God and your faith can be so low that you believe that God completely cares less about you. He doesn't, he doesn't care anything about you. You can believe in God and claim that he's working against you. Claim that he's brought all this suffering on you. Claim that he is punishing you and that he does not love you. You can believe in God and think all of those things. That's called losing your faith in the fact that God is good and that God loves you. Now this morning, I want, I want us, as, as I'm kind of wrapping up here, I want us to kind of look at this list and I want to see if any of us can relate to any of those things. Are you not thinking clearly? Have you at times separated yourself from support? Have you been physically and emotionally exhausted? Have you lost, been lost in your own self-pity? Have you had unbalanced views of what's going on around you and what's going on in you? And have you struggled with your faith in God in this season? So what does God do? R really quickly this morning. Verse, in chapter 19, starting with the end of verse 13, God asked him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah repeats again. I've been very jealous for you, Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it. God asked him the same question twice. What are you doing here, Elijah? Folks, don't get so lost in the perceived hopelessness of the present that you lose sensitivity to God's spirit and where he's leading you in the future. Because we can be convinced that our tomorrow is going to be terrible just because we don't like where we're at today. One of the most humanistic things that I can think of is that the place that we have hope the most is usually in our future, right? Because we can look back on our past, and that's what we need to be doing. We need to be looking back where God's been faithful. But for the most part, we can look and say, I didn't really like where I was then. We, 
really struggle with hope in our present, but don't all of us on some level have a hope for a better future? I mean, it's like, man, a year from now, it's going to be so much better. I remember thinking that last summer. Man, two years from now, three years from now, don't allow where you are currently to strip you of your hope for where God is taking you. Because God restored Elijah. He brought him back. He, he had this moment of, of, and it was longer than a moment, so let's not project that. Because our struggles can be longer than a moment. Amen? Our struggles can be longer than a day. But don't lose sight of the one that you're serving. And I think that ultimately as we boil everything down, that's what happened to Elijah. As Kevin was talking about earlier, it's about what we're focusing on. What are we looking at? See, it was the moment when Elijah was doing all of the miraculous things, when he was seeing all of these great and mighty things happen, when fire was falling, when people were being raised to life, when miracles of food was happening, when God's supernatural provision was taking place in his life, whenever a drought was caused and then ceased by his own words. Elijah's focus was on God. But what changed in the moment with the queen threatening his life was that he took his focus off of God and he put it on what was happening around him and how big of a threat that his life was under. So this morning, what are, what's your focus on? We're all experiencing these things to some degree. And again, it's okay. But don't stay there. Don't stay there because your focus is on the wrong thing. And can I just say again, out of all of those you know, the struggling with our faith is paramount, but please don't, don't devalue how important it is to have a support system around you. That's why we're the body, because you're important to my walk with God. You're important to my health. You're important to my faith. You're important to my mental and emotional health. Don't isolate yourself. As painful as it may be, reach out to speak with someone. That's what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? We're supposed to be here for each other. Am I right? Am I right? Don't allow yourself to be separated. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up this morning. And I thought of a couple things of, so there's several of us, you know, all of us, who are going through things. And this story of Elijah speaks to us personally about how we relate kind of to ourselves in these moments and what we need to do to help ourselves. But I just want to give you two quick things about how to help your brother and sister through this time. If they're going through something like this too, God's calling us to help them. Even if we're struggling ourselves, God is calling us to help them. Number one, take, have the priority to understand first and be understood next. Because I think that 
Sometimes we get those confused and we feel like people need to understand our views and why we're in that place. If somebody's struggling with something and you can't connect with them, you don't understand it, that's okay. Be there for them. Strive to be understanding instead of your primary goal to be understood. And number two, unless you have gone through the exact same thing that that person is going through at the moment, please do not say, I know exactly what you're going through. I'll spare you the story, but that, that, that has a very personal moment in my life to where I know good-hearted people who didn't have a clue as to what I was going through or my family was going through would look and say, we know what you're going through. Don't. Have sympathy for them. Say that, you know, I'm here for you. I can't relate 100%. I don't know exactly what you're going through. I've experienced maybe something similar. But again, it all goes back to strive to understand instead of being understood. Last thing. Whenever, and I've had a couple conversations this week, and it wasn't in a negative sense. It was very concerned. But what if we start encouraging all of our church, all believers, everybody to start opening up with their mental and emotional struggles, and that's what we're doing, Make no mistake about it, that's what we're doing. But the question becomes, what if what they're going through isn't really genuine? What if they're really not mentally or emotionally struggling? Well, last I checked, I'm not the judge of that. And number two, if hundreds of people come to us that we may think aren't really struggling, but there's one who is, and we can make a difference and be a voice of encouragement in, our, in their life, it's worth it. And who's to say if we were to classify the others as not really legitimately struggling, who's to say that that path that they're on isn't going to lead them there? Be compassionate. Be loving. And seek to understand instead of being understood.